I'm here with Marcus Daniel. Marcus is a professional tennis player and has been rated uh, number 34 in the world by the ATP. Um, has been a bronze Olympic medalist in men's doubles in 2020, I suppose summer 2020 Olympics. And um, interestingly and fascinatingly, um, Marcus has set up an organization called High Impact Athletes. And this organization aims to encourage athletes to give some of their income to the most effective charities. So Marcus, why is effective altruism important to you? Why have you set up High Impact Athletes? Yeah, it was it, it sort of all started making sense in uh, in 2020. But it, my, my journey with effective altruism started earlier uh, in 2014. So in 2014, I, I started making money from tennis for the for the first time. The years before that, I was actually sort of struggling to make ends meet or, or losing money each year. The lower levels of professional tennis are pretty sparse with the prize money, but really uh, heavy on expenses. But anyway, when, when I first made money from tennis and had you know more in the bank at the end of the year than, than when I started the year, I had this really strong urge to give back. But like a lot of people, I didn't know what the best way to do that was. And rather than just falling back on you know world vision or the, the things that I grew up around as a kid, I decided to do a little of my own research and, and try and figure out where I could allocate this, this money that I wanted to donate um, and so like any good millennial, I jumped on Google and typed in something like how to give back best or, you know, something, something probably pathetic like that. And uh, eventually came across 80,000 hours and the effective altruism movement. And it just blew my mind how much sense it made. Um, and especially back then, 80,000 hours was uh, more focused on sort of present day suffering and, and um, you know, the worst human problems in the world. And so that learning about those ideas uh, gave me a lot of confidence to donate for the first time. So I, I think that first year I donated to the Against Malaria Foundation. Yeah, I made a, a pledge the next year to donate a percentage of my income and, and slowly built that pledge up over the years and then cut to 2020 and the tennis tour stops with COVID. Uh, and I had more time in one place and more space to think than I'd basically ever had in my adult life. And I started thinking about the sort of the fundamental purpose behind EA to my mind anyway, which is how can I make the most positive impact in the world? And I felt like I was already maxing out the amount that I was donating, especially because I'd essentially just lost my job with the tennis tour stopping. But I realized that the other pillar of making an impact in the world that, that I could contribute to advocacy, I really wasn't maxing that out. And so this realization led me to thinking, how could I best be an advocate for this space? And ultimately that led to High Impact Athletes. So High Impact Athletes is the vehicle that I've created to try to, try to be the best advocate for, for EA ideas as possible. And not just me, but you know, hopefully bring as many people in the sporting space along for the ride and use the collective voice to, to spread these ideas. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, when, when we were speaking before, uh, you were saying to me that many athletes are sort of worried in a way about where to donate money, whether their money is doing any good, um, you know, there have been scandals recently with different charities and, and we were saying that GiveWell is something that 
when most athletes hear about it, it does make a huge lot of sense. Yeah, yeah. So there are there are two points there. One is I think just for everyone, everyone who wants to donate, regardless of whether they're an athlete or not, they're worried. They have doubts about how much of each dollar that I give is actually going to get to the intervention, how much is going to be lost along the way. And unfortunately, they're, they're legitimate doubts. And so what, what GiveWell offers us is the most certain certainty we could possibly have in this space that our dollar is, is doing exactly what it should. And, and that's incredible. And, you know, GiveWell is the absolute gold standard, but they have GiveWell-esque uh, charity evaluators across, you know, the climate change space or the animal welfare space. Um, so just for everyone, I think, allaying those doubts as much as we possibly can is a big deal. Yeah. And then the other thing that's, that's more specific to athletes or I guess more specific to public figures is a lot of athletes don't want to stand behind a particular cause or a particular charity because they're really worried about these sort of gotcha moments mm. in the press. You know, like if regardless of what you do, someone's going to hate you. But if you're if you're a big athlete and you stand beside something and someone tears you down because of it, it's just the worst feeling. And the amount of research that goes into these charities, uh, it, it gives athletes something of a safety net. To, or something to stand on top of and say, look, if you've got a problem with with the fact that I'm standing beside this charity, then here's the 50,000 hours of research that's been done on it. If you can find a flaw in that, then be my guest and please let everyone know because we'd all like to update our thinking and, and it's constantly trying to find the best answers to these questions. You, you know, that's, like that's, that's one of the things I love about GiveWell and the EA community more generally. I mean, this is a group of people who are genuinely out to figure out what the truth is, you know, to mm. really evaluate things properly and rationally. And I love how the community really welcomes people coming in and pointing out where mistakes may have been made. And, um, you know, I mean, GiveWell just lists all its mistakes when it makes any, you know, changes its mind according to new evidence. And um, so I think it's, it's, uh, it's sensible to have a lot of confidence in that organization. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's. I love that they have our mistakes as one of the main tabs yeah. on on their on their website. For me, that that gives me even more confidence. Um, yeah, yeah, an incredible organisation in general. Um, you have now pledged ten percent of your winnings to effective charities. Um, what was it kind of like to make that leap? I mean, that's quite significant. You say that you know you'd been donating, a, you know, sort of steadily more over the years. But then you finally decided to just jump in with this, the Giving What We Can pledge. So for people who don't know, Giving What We Can, it's a sort of a separate organization which encourages people to give 10% of their income to these effective charities. So, um, yeah, what was that like to take that leap? It was, it was really cool. Uh, yeah, so I mean, I, I think, um, so I made the pledge, I want to say, I think it was at the start of 2021, uh, the 10% pledge. But... The year before, I think internally I'd, I'd pledged 8%. So, and I think I ended up in uh, 2020, I think I actually ended up donating more than 10%. So what the, the journey for me was starting at 1%. I think the next year I jumped up to 5% because if you, the, the, way, the way I think about it is if I can donate these amounts of money and it doesn't affect my quality of life or my happiness, then I'm not losing anything really, but that amount of money can be literally life-saving 
and most definitely life-changing for so many people or for so many animals in the world. Yeah. So, I mean, this it sounds sort of cliche, but I actually, I really do think that this pledge to donate 10% of my earnings gives me more than it takes away from me. And it gives you a great sense of happiness, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And ultimately, that's what we're all after, I think, is being happy. And, and it's, yeah. it's one of the beautiful things about charity that the only thing that's been proven to make us happy is helping other people. So yeah. it's like, you know, it's, yeah. it's almost a trade rather than a pure giveaway. Yeah, I think maybe people underestimate how much, like, just joy and how much they can improve their own lives by, like, helping others. Yeah, and, and the incredible thing is, because these charities are so cost effective, like it, even if, you know, a percentage of your income doesn't equate to a huge amount of, of dollars or, or, you know, money that you can donate, because these charities are so cost effective, even if it's like 500 bucks a year, you can protect an entire village from malaria. Yeah. And that's, that's life changing for that whole village. And it's incredible I feel like, buck. yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and I feel buck. like it's one of these, one of these sort of human fallacies that we have that the bigger the number the harder it is to really comprehend or, or empathize with but you know that entire village is made up of individuals all of whom have the same desires and wants and frustrations and 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 needs as we have yeah. and you know it's like you can help hundreds for something that most people if they want to buy a new coat or whatever don't really think about it but like yeah, yeah it's the yeah. the opportunity there i think is just incredible yeah, that's what I like with, again, this um, EA movement as well, the more recent one, this idea of like, it's opportunity. Whereas before, I suppose, you know, as Peter Singer and the Shallow Pond, this idea of like really a, a moral obligation to um, to give. And that's where I started out. So, you know, Peter Singer, uh, you know, <laughs> left me feeling fairly depressed. <laughs> for quite, I mean, no harm to Peter, but my God, you know, I'd be sort of sitting there buying a coffee or having lunch with friends going, yeah, you know, I really wish I wasn't thinking about the drowning child right now. <laughs> so That's like, why I think it's so genius. It just keep, yeah, it just know, keeps punching you in the face. It really does. Like, yeah. Whereas, so lovely to start with that. And then fantastic to find that there's another way of framing this, another way of looking at it, which is it's not, it doesn't have to be, oh, I feel so bad that I'm not doing enough to save the constantly dying children. This doesn't have to be it. You can think to yourself, I cannot believe I can save this many children with mm. like, you know, with a relatively easily in my lifetime. Like it's that thing that yeah. Will McAskill says, you know, imagine if you went into a burning building and saved a child, you'd feel like a complete hero. I mean, you would just think you were the best person ever. And yeah. with our money, if we are, you know, reasonably well off relative to the rest of the world, we can literally like do that many times in our lives. So, you know, you, you can really feel like, and if you connect with what, what you're doing, like if you sort of mentally and, and emotionally connect with what the effect you're actually having in the world, um, yeah, this can be really, really, uh, it can just feel like a huge bargain, like the best money you've ever spent, you know? Yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. And, and yeah. I also think it's like, it's a bit of work and I think we can do better at, at creating that connection between the good that we're actually doing yeah. and and engendering that feeling of of empathy or or of the doing of it um yeah but yeah it's it's amazing to think about yeah but it's a 
I think it's one of the problems with us humans is that our we can't really trust our empathy. <laughs> you know, <laughs> not really. Like you can't really trust your like emotional feels. This is why, you know, it's why say, isn't there like seven times as many farm animals as humans in the world, for example? Right? I think I have that number right. And the vast majority oh, I'd say many more actually. Yeah, could be. And the vast majority just actually live a life of just constant torture and suffering, right? Yeah. But when it comes to donating to animal charities, something like 90% of all money donated to animal charities goes to pet shelters. So there's, there's such a disconnect. Like if you're a person who cares about the suffering of animals, then if you, if you were rational about it, you would, you would think, well, then I should be donating to organizations that improve the lives of farm animals, for example, chickens, I mean, or, or pigs or, you know, or, but if your emotions are coming into it, you're thinking that you love puppies, you know, um, and yeah. you want to save, you know. Uh, so it's it's a bit of a shame. It's a bit of a bug in our system that we we don't seem to be able to connect emotionally with the effect we're actually having in the world unless we kind of practice it. Like I think you can yeah. practice just thinking about it and almost talking yourself into those feelings by reminding yourself of, of what good you're actually doing. Like I like to picture like the neighbor's kids instead of children far away, you know? If the neighbor's right. kid was in our garden, this fellow comes in and asks us for ice cream all the time. <laughs> so I kind of go, if the, neighbor's kids were, if the neighbor's kid was in the garden at risk of, you know, dying, if I had to pay a few thousand pounds to save his life, it'd be a complete no-brainer. So I try to like get that feeling and think it's, it's the same. It's the same child, just far away. So yeah, uh, yeah there are strategies to kind of, try and help that disconnect yeah yeah the especially i mean i i definitely have some bias around around this one um because personally about 90 percent of my donations now go towards the factory farmed animals um interesting i yeah i i i think it's just so neglected as as a cause area um and i really do think in I'm hoping a few decades, but it's say 40, 50 years, I really do think humankind is going to look back on factory farming and think about it as a moral tragedy. I just think the way that we're treating sentient beings in factory farms at the moment is abhorrent and yeah. unnecessary. And, you know, there are, I mean, it's, I think the latest stat I saw was, was 90 billion factory farmed animals per year but that's only uh that's only vertebrates so that doesn't count fish and if you count fish the numbers are actually incredibly hard to estimate because in india and china the, they don't really keep track of this stuff but it could be something to the order of sort of 250 to 300 billion intensively farmed animals that basically on a daily basis are experiencing a lot of suffering and yeah, I, I don't want to go on too much of a rant about no, this. But, I, no, but I can, can see, forever, I, but. but I can, I can tell by you, like you can almost see it kind of like getting to you when you talk about <laughs> it. And I can totally, yeah. I, some people, I feel like there's almost sort of a militant vegan group who just completely mm. talk down the idea of farming. I, I'm not sure that that's a realistic end game to shoot for because animals and, and animal excrement is actually quite important in, soil, in yeah. cropping as well yeah. and if you don't use animal excrement then you're reliant on things like nitrogen-based fertilizers which are heavily fossil fuel reliant so 
you know, I, I don't, I don't judge anyone for, for their food choices. I just, a few things aligned for me, um, both environmentally and ethically to, and, and it was actually an, another moment we, we were speaking a little bit earlier about sort of challenging the way that you think and, and trying to think rationally through these, these ideas that you maybe have just been born with or, or raised with. And for me, there was this real almost eureka moment, um, actually at a sushi restaurant in Japan, uh, where a friend of mine ordered a round of chopped whale sushi for the table and I just couldn't eat it. And, you know, I'd eaten beef tartare sushi, tuna, salmon, I'd had bacon for breakfast, hadn't thought twice about it. And whale, it was whale. Whale, yeah, because, you know, growing up in New Zealand, I I went whale watching, you know, like I I spent time in the ocean and they were just these, in my head, these majestic creatures. And the cognitive dissonance just, just really hit me in that moment and made me examine why do I think this way about uh, one particular animal, but I don't think that way about another particular animal where like, why is that line drawn? And yeah, I think it's an interesting thing to do. Um, and I think it's almost, it's almost a similar thing when thinking about different charities and, and why yeah. we should donate to one charity um, over another where, you know, maybe our family, we grew up in our family, we're donating to a particular charity, but that doesn't mean that that's the best thing to continue doing. Yeah, exactly. um, I think yeah. when it comes to animal welfare as well, as you said, it's such a neglected area and it's an area where a small amount of money can do an insane amount of good. Yeah. Um, I can't remember where I heard or read this or where I came from, but I think that there's been there's an example of um, a few cents extra per chicken to like scan the eggs before they hatch so that yeah so that they can figure out whether the whether it's going to be male or female because if they don't scan then all the chickens hatch and the males are no use so they end up living a really short brutal suffering life and then being put through a meat grinder or something and so instead of having instead of letting those males hatch and just live in suffering instead they just scan the eggs before and then destroy the eggs that are going to be male makes so yes. much sense so much suffering avoided for such a tiny tiny amount of money um, and if you just take the overall just the, the overall amount of suffering experienced by creatures who can suffer in the world that's a simple intervention that costs almost nothing and just saves a huge lot of you know does so much good so um there's probably a lot of examples like that in the animal in the animal oh world yeah. yeah yeah i think there's there's so much lower hanging fruit in the space yeah. but unfortunately well so especially in the states and that's where we probably know the most about the the factory farming world but it's also the place or at least the the high income place that has the lowest standards for factory Mm -hmm. farming and actually is really weirdly protected by by law it's almost like like it's it's a federal crime to take a camera into a factory farm it's like they really don't want the public knowing how their food is produced because they know that if more people saw the reality of, of the animals that they were eating and, and how they lived every day, then it would be a crisis. But that's not the way I think this all should work. I think everyone should know what food they're eating and, and how it came to be on their plate. Yeah. Um, and yeah, my, my wife's actually doing some really interesting work in the legal space around, around this sort of thing. Really? Where... Yeah, it's um, it's a it's a real uphill battle because this there's a lot of lobbying and a lot of money tied up in it. But um, yeah. Anyway, I, I I'll, I'll yeah. stop my ranting. 
<laughs> no, but it's a, it's a good rant. It's something that should be ranted about more, really. Um, but yeah, no, I think we've covered. So I suppose we've spoken about, you know, many people would sort of split up EA effective altruism into these three main areas. You have uh, current humans offering sort of global health um, saving lives, that, that sort of thing. And then you have animal welfare and animal suffering. And then the third one is, I suppose, long-term risk. Um, the last time we were speaking, I was saying to you, I just can't get myself to, for whatever reason, I can't seem to get myself to care enough about people who aren't born yet. <laughs> so um, I just, I know I should, I've read the books, you know, I've read The Precipice by Toby Ward. I've read, you know, I, I understand the argument. Um, but I just haven't got there yet <laughs> emotionally. Are you on the same page as me? My my views, I think, are perfectly summed up by someone else's podcast oh. who just explains it so much better than I can. It's the uh, Alexander Berger on the 80,000 Hours podcast. I listened to that since the last time, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, so... Yeah, yeah. I think the cliff notes from that are, it's amazing that people were thinking about this and it's probably necessary that people were thinking about it and at the same time i think and this this is my marcus my thoughts i think that there's so much suffering happening in the world right now that can be pretty easily alleviated that i want to focus on that yeah. i'm happy that people were focusing on the long-term future and the survival of humanity i'm happy that elon musk is trying to make a backup of humanity on mars but i want to focus on the thing, the, the bad things that are happening right now in the world. Um, they feel more tangible to me. I feel like there's more of a chance that we could uh, spread these ideas to a wider, a wider group of people by yeah. focusing on the present day stuff, because it's a long journey into convincing yourself that you should care about someone 20,000 years in the future. Yes, it is. And uh, mm. I'm not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but, uh, oh, great. Well, uh, well, listen, I know we don't have much time for this chat, so that's great. I think we covered most of the bases. Um, is there anything else you wanted to say about high-impact athletes or about what you're doing now or anything that we missed out on that you wanted to mention? Um, I guess I'd just say that, um, so I, I think it's amazing what you're doing in, in, the, in the sports med space. Um, you know, I think the more people who hear about these ideas, the more people who, if they're going to donate, pause and think, is this the absolute most good I can do with this donation, the better? And that's what we're trying to do at HIA is we're, we're trying to use the athlete megaphone to, to get more people in the world thinking about this stuff, get more people in the world knowing that there are these amazing giving opportunities where individuals, normal individuals can do a huge amount of good in the world. And, you know, if anyone from, from your space wants to either get involved or knows athletes who might be interested in, in speaking about this stuff um please yeah send send them my way i i love speaking to new athletes getting into new sports and and it seems that the majority of people i speak to if they if they have the the moment of understanding of what this is about then people are just almost relieved that something like this exists yeah. um yes. so yeah i guess my my ask would be if, if anyone has contacts with athletes or or if you just want to get involved yourself please reach out fantastic do reach out to marcus and um, if you know it particularly if you know serena williams or you know Ronaldo, yeah. any of those guys get in touch let them know 
<laughs> yeah, Messi, Messi or Neymar Messi, would be nice. Lewis Hamilton would be a, a good yeah, one, I think. A good one, yeah. Any of those? Yeah. I'm, I'm so impressed with myself that I could name a few sports people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not the most sporty. <laughs> so th those are the ones. Those are the ones we would actually want, right? We, we want the ones that transcend sport and and can the get messages out to you know, yeah. hundreds of millions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right marcus thanks a million for this chat uh, all the best with high impact athletes we're going to be in touch plenty more i'd say as time goes on thanks for the chat appreciate it that was that was fun and and all the best with with what you're setting up i i love i love Physio, seeing it pop up and like, giving well yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love giving it. well is our i told you last time high impact physios is not gonna it's not gonna work so we've gone with physios giving well i love it cool